Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to another solo deep dive episode of Reimagining Love. Today, I'm excited to spend some time talking with you about an expression that gets thrown around a lot by people who are in the dating world and by those of us who love people who are in the dating world. And that expression is right person, wrong time. This is one of those phrases that gets shared as if it's a conclusion or a diagnosis or a declaration, when really it's an invitation into a far more nuanced set of reflections that have to do with how we size up the goodness of fit with a potential partner, how we look at the larger context of our lives and how they shape our readiness for intimacy about the larger beliefs that undergird our quest for intimacy, and about what motivates us to prioritize partnership or what blocks us from prioritizing partnership. So in today's episode, I will use the tools of relational self-awareness to unpack this notion of right person, wrong time, and offer you a deepened and more nuanced perspective on this topic of intimacy, timing, and assessing goodness of fit. I'm going to talk to you about one, romantic myths that might be driving this idea. Two, the power of narrative and how the way we tell our love stories shapes how we experience them. Three, stage of life issues and prioritizing intimate partnership. And four, deeper fears or wounds that might be closing us off to intimacy. So if you are dating someone and you're having that right person, wrong time feeling, this episode is not going to tell you whether or not you should dig in or end it. You know me too well by now. (laughs) Relationship dynamics are too complex. They defy simple answers. 
Instead, this episode is going to give you some food for thought that is designed to help you sit with more complexity in the service of your own clarity. I want you to have the resources that you need and deserve as you meditate on and muddle through your own situation. It seems paradoxical that adding layers can help you feel more decisive, but I trust that as I talk you through the relationship dynamics that can fuel this right person, wrong time notion, you're going to reflect on your situation. And I trust that this episode is going to help you shift your thoughts and your feelings and therefore your behavior. So I'm imagining that this episode is going to help you do one of the following. One, feel more confident about asking the person you're dating for some patience while you figure out what's happening inside of you as far as timing goes. Two, feel more confident shifting the priorities in your life to open up more space for this relationship to be prioritized. Or three, feel a bit more at peace about beginning to let this person go or continuing the work of letting this person go. And by the way, if you're the one who's being told that you are the right person, but that you have popped into someone's life at the wrong time, this episode is going to help that notion make more sense to you. And I think this episode is going to give you some more capacity to accept a reality that is likely frustrating and disheartening for you. And then from that place of increased acceptance, decide whether or not you want to be patient or move along. Okay, so one caveat before we dive in, I am going to use the language right person, wrong time, because that's the language that is out there in the world not because I like the language. Really, it's not an expression that you'd ever catch me using because I rarely, unless I'm talking about a situation of abuse or neglect, I really, really don't use binary language like right, wrong, good, bad, always, never, because relationship dynamics are too complex for simplistic frameworks. I just don't think it's helpful for us to talk about someone being either right for us or wrong for us. A relationship is a story. And that means that when you choose a partner, you're choosing a co-author of that story. Life with partner A will offer you a journey that is marked by this particular set of themes and characters and tensions and conflicts and turning points and lessons in life with partner B will offer you a different journey marked with different themes, different characters, different tensions, et cetera, et cetera. Be clear that I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying that your choice of a partner doesn't matter. It does. It does matter. It, I, I, I'm not sitting here saying that you could just choose any name out of a hat and build a glorious life with that person. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I want you to be more thoughtful than sticking a right or a wrong label on somebody's head. If for no other reason, then I don't want somebody sticking a right or wrong label on your head. Thank you very much. Okay. Cultural mythology. If we are going to break down what it means when someone says right person, wrong time, you know that I'm going to want us to start by considering the impact of romanticized cultural myths, because how we are socialized around love affects how we love. 
So let's figure out the particular set of cultural myths that might be driving someone to declare right person, wrong time. So imagine this scenario. Bethany, we'll call her, says to her dad, oh, dad, you know, I am dating this woman and I think, I just can't figure it out. I think it might be a case of right person, wrong time. And Bethany's dad responds, well, you know, Bethany, if this woman is the one, timing shouldn't matter. (laughs) And scene. In this moment, Bethany's dad's response is really a triple whammy. Number one, he's missing an opportunity to offer Bethany validation and empathy. Something along the lines of, Bethany, my love, relationships are hard and ever so messy. Number two, Bethany's dad is reinforcing the myth that there even is such thing as the one. And number three, Bethany's dad is reinforcing the idea that when it's, quote, right, anxiety melts away, leaving only clarity and a direct route to happily ever after. Okay. Sorry, Bethany's dad, but we are just, you know, (laughs) picking you apart a little bit here. So the romanticized idea that if this person is the one, then the rest of your priorities are magically going to fall into place so that the relationship will work. And by extension, the fact that you are not rearranging your life so that this relationship is possible then becomes evidence that this person therefore must not be the one. Right? Are you with me? I have compassion for this train of thought because there's a kind of logic to it, right? There's a promise of clarity. When you know, you know. However, this train of thought is ultimately far too simplistic for my taste. It simplifies relationship logic rather than asking us to sit ever more comfortably in paradox and mystery and nuance. Although Bethany's dad, in our hypothetical example, did not use the S word, soulmate, that idea also hangs out in this particular realm of mythology. If you read my first book, Loving Bravely, you know that in that book, I spent one of the 20 lessons teasing apart a few different definitions of this term soulmate, and I share with you my favorite one. One of the common definitions of soulmate, and this is one that I don't care for, (laughs) is that your soulmate is your perfect match. In fact, research has found that when you define soulmate as your perfect match, you are more likely to experience heightened conflict and you are even more likely to break up. Why? Because cognitive dissonance. How can you possibly struggle to see eye to eye when you are supposed to be deeply aligned? How can you possibly fight over money or sex or how to spend your free time if this person is the one? Let me give you another definition of soulmate, and I'm going to read this one directly from the Loving Bravely book. Quote, the Yiddish word for soulmate is bashert, and the belief here is that before birth, God decides who your spouse will be, a match made in heaven, so to speak. The soul is split and inhabits two bodies. Soulmates find each other, and the wedding is the joining, or in fact, the rejoining of souls. According to this belief, your spouse really is your other half, maybe even your better half. 
in Tom Cruise's words to Renee Zellweger in the film Jerry Maguire, fit here. You complete me. When my students explore this definition, they initially express despair. What if I live in New York and my Bashert lives in New Zealand? Those who practice from this belief story must also have faith that destiny or divine assistance will lead them into each other's arms. Belief in Bashert serves as a vessel that buoys a couple during their journey of love. Couples who share a story that their union was created and is supported by a force bigger than them feel a sense of comfort, connection, and meaning. End quote. Okay, I much prefer a definition of soulmates that says that soulmates are made, not born, that someone becomes our soulmate. There's a beautiful quote from relationship educator Diane Soli that goes like this, quote, people think that they have to find their soulmate to have a good marriage. Anyone you already meet has soulmates, their mother, their father, their lifelong friends. You get married and after 20 years of loving, bearing and raising kids and meeting challenges, you'll create your soulmate, end quote. I think that perspective takes some of the pressure off. You don't have to know whether they are your soulmate by the second date. What matters is whether this person is a worthy travel companion, someone with whom you can build what M. Scott Peck called a relationship of constancy. Finally, in the Loving Bravely book, I also share the idea that a soulmate is a wake-up call. As Liz Gilbert in Eat, Pray, Love writes, quote, people think a soulmate is your perfect fit, and that's what everyone wants. But a true soulmate is a mirror, the person who shows you everything that is holding you back, the person who brings you to your own attention so you can change your life. A true soulmate is probably the most important person you'll ever meet because they tear down your walls and smack you awake, end quote. <laughs> this description of soulmates really fits with the work of relational self-awareness, doesn't it? The idea that love is a classroom and that it is through relationships that we grow and evolve and hopefully heal. So I am giving you permission, even encouragement to let go of the romanticized cultural mythology that if this person is the right person, then everything will fall into place in terms of timing. And that therefore, by extension, if you're having a difficult time figuring out how to get this relationship off the ground, then it must mean that they are not the right person. So I'm giving you that permission. Not that you need the permission from me, but I'm encouraging you to give that permission to yourself, to let go of that faulty relationship logic. Because relationships are messy, because life is messy, and because tricky timing does not have to be a poor prognostic indicator. Before we move on, I want to highlight one more piece from our Bethany example. Depending on the quality of the relationship that Bethany has with her father, his words, well, you know, Bethany, if she's the one, timing shouldn't matter. Those words might land quite deeply for Bethany. Her dad's hot take that she should just know might hold the power to take Bethany from unsure to doubtful. So this is a reminder for those of us who love people who are dating, please watch your words. Please follow your loved one's lead. Certainly, if you see a pattern of worrisome behavior, you can find a thoughtful and circumspect way to bring it up. But otherwise, 
keep your hot takes to yourself, especially if your hot takes are based on simplistic notions of how you think love should look. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. This segues us naturally to talking about how powerful our stories are, the stories we live by, the stories we love by. My students hear me repeat these words year after year. Narrative trumps data. Although I have to say in the last few years, I don't love that verb anymore. However, the notion that narrative trumps data helps us think about how it's not just the facts that matter. It's the meaning that we make out of those facts. It's how we string data points together into a story. And we make meaning based on A, how any given moment feels inside of our bodies, and B, our prior experiences. Our prior experiences become the pair of glasses, so to speak, through which we assess the goodness of fit with this particular partner. Our prior experiences shape the story that we tell about the relationship. Our pair of glasses amplifies some bits of data and mutes other bits of data so that the story we tell ends up being based more on our subjective truth rather than on some abstract objective truth. This, by the way, is neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's just a thing of being human. It's why every couple therapist knows that feeling of listening to partners tell the story of something that happened and wondering if the two of them were even in the same room at the same time. Memory is imperfect and we're all at risk of holding on to the data points that fit with our narrative or confirm our fears or prove our point. Because relational self-awareness helps us heal past wounds, helps us deconstruct cultural myths, and helps us understand our patterns, this work that you do week after week with me, listening to Reimagining Love, for sure, for sure, for sure, helps you see more clearly. And we need to always be checking in with ourselves and our partners about the meaning that we're making. For example, if our partner cancels plans with us, we can say something like, when you flaked on plans last Friday, I took it really personally and I felt like I wasn't much of a priority to you. We're sharing out loud the meaning that we've made inside of our own minds, inside of our own hearts. And by sharing it in that way, 
we give our partner the opportunity to add context. Ugh, I'm so sorry. I was really distracted by work and I did not take your feelings enough into consideration. And we also give our partner a chance to offer a remedy. Can we please, please, please go out tonight or tomorrow night so that I can make it up to you? Because we write our narratives, this means that we can rewrite our narratives. And sometimes we do that in a way that aligns with the outcome of our relationship. So Dr. John Gottman has researched the sequence of events that leads a couple to divorce. And one of his findings is that when someone is facing divorce, they tend to retell the story of their relationship in a negative light. At the end of a relationship, at the end of a marriage, when a couple is divorcing, when they look back over the story of the marriage, they retell that sequence of events in a more negative light. For example, they might say something like, I knew we were doomed when we had a fight on our honeymoon, or I never should have married them in the first place. This narrative reconstruction makes total sense. Emotional pain, hurt, betrayal, these cast a mighty shadow over everything. And it makes sense because the marriage is ending. Therefore, the story needs to line up in a way that makes that difficult reality make sense. The narrative needs to support the data. The flip side, by the way, is also true. Research indicates that couples with high relationship satisfaction, happy couples, tend to see each other through rose-colored glasses. They amplify that which is bountiful, plentiful, and enjoyable, and they mute or turn down or shift their focus away from that which is annoying, their partner's growing edges, etc. Not to the point of massive denial, but in a way that skews positive, in a way that focuses on what's plentiful rather than what's scarce. Okay, so how does all of this relate to the right person, wrong time idea? Well, right person, wrong time is a narrative. It's a story. It may in fact be a story that allows you to let go of that person and shift your focus back onto yourself, back onto your own healing, back onto your family crisis, back onto your work or your educational obligations, back onto your quest for someone with whom there's an easier or deeper alignment, whatever that is. Right person, wrong time is a story that you're telling to help something make sense. It doesn't need to be airtight, capital T truth for it to be functional, for it to be helpful. Someone could respond to your declaration of right person, wrong time by saying, but wait, what if you delayed grad school for a year to give this relationship a chance? But wait, what if you had just had your mom live closer to you so that you'd have more time to date? But wait, what if you just changed your mindset about your career? What if, what if, what if? Just because you technically could does not mean that you need to. Can does not mean must. And nobody has a crystal ball. You could change all these variables to try to get the timing right so that this relationship has a chance. And the process of shifting those variables for the sake of the relationship could create resentment inside of you that could compromise the relationship anyways. It's so hard to not know 
It's so hard to not have that crystal ball. I also want to remind you that if and when you do make accommodations in your life for the sake of an intimate relationship, I want you to make that accommodation from a place of choice, willingness, desire, pride, rather than from a place of guilt, obligation, embarrassment, shame, for the sake of your mental health and for the sake of the relationship. Side note that Vienna Farron and I did a whole episode of Reimagining Love that was called Relocating for Love, Finding Agency in Accommodation. It was episode nine of the show. We linked it in the show notes and you can go back to it for more on this topic. Okay, moving along. I want to talk now about the fact that when you say right person, wrong time, you might be saying something about your own development as a person, about where you are on your life's journey. So I'm going to talk about four separate but related angles here. One, your priorities. Two, your internal clock. Three, your identity. And four, your ability to trust yourself. Number one, your priorities. On last week's show, I talked a little about the modern dating landscape, how the age of entry into marriage is older than ever, how there are fewer people married today than ever any other time. And this reflects a number of cultural shifts, including a seismic gender shift as women have access to educational and vocational opportunities that were not available to women throughout much of our history. Women, by and large, do not do what my mother-in-law did, which was go to college to earn her so-called MRS degree, her Mrs. degree. And when intimate relationships don't need to be the top priority, it means that women and the people who love them have to work within that matrix. A sociologist named Andrew Churlin says that marriage used to be a cornerstone of adulthood. And marriage is now a capstone of adulthood, meaning that older generations used to move from their family's home into their marital home. That was a really common trajectory, which is why couples would register for things like dishes and comforters and forks, because by and large, this couple was creating a nest together from scratch. Commitment to an intimate partnership was the cornerstone of adult life. Today, far more people, by choice, by necessity, are focusing their time and their energy on other domains of life, some of which are not particularly compatible with the energetic demands of intimate partnership. Career is important. Education is important. Adventure and travel are important. Friendship is important. Healing is important. So right person, wrong time might signify that intimacy just is not the top of your list of priorities right now. Somebody might be amazing, but they might not fit into your life, at least not right now. Number two, internal clock. Remember back to episode number 42 of Reimagining Love. That was the episode that was about talking with your partner about the future and what happens when a couple experiences what I call a pace discrepancy which is when one of you is ready for the next step towards deepened commitment and the other one of you is not. In that episode, I cited Dr. Bernice Newgarten's idea that we all have a social clock 
And that social clock gives us a sense of whether we are on time or off time in terms of developmental milestones and achievements relative to our own peer group. If the internal clock that lives inside your head says that you should be engaged, for example, by 28 years old, a partner is going to start looking an awful lot like a fiance around that time. So right person, wrong time might speak to a block that lives inside of you. The block may be that you had not seen yourself in a relationship that was this serious at this age, or you hadn't seen yourself in a relationship this serious until you had reached a particular financial goal, or you hadn't seen yourself in a relationship this serious until you met a particular educational milestone. So this person feels good to be with, but you can't quite get your head and your heart around the fact that this opportunity is in your life right now at this moment. Number three, identity. The timing question may relate to your own sense of your identity. Something about how you had imagined that you would feel on your insides when you entered this type of relationship. How adult you had imagined you'd feel. How secure you had imagined you'd feel how healed you had imagined that you'd be. And here's what I'm going to say to you about this question of identity in this sense that you don't feel the way that you had imagined someone should feel when they're making this type of commitment. I have lived a lot of years and I have done a lot of things and rarely, if ever, have I felt 100% rock solid on the inside when I have started a new chapter of my life? My goal is to feel more intrigue than fear, more confidence than self-doubt, but I do not wait around for 100%. First of all, because I tend to run anxious, so I will go over something again and again, I'll flip over every little stone looking for any hint of self-doubt or danger or risk. And second, because how could you feel totally sure about a territory that you have not ever entered before you've entered it? Even if you've dated seriously before, even if you've been engaged before, even if you've been married before, you have not been here with this person at this particular moment in your life, this crossroads is new. Feeling unsure does not necessarily mean that you are developmentally not ready. A lot of stuff in life requires us to build our parachute on the way down. A lot of stuff in life starts to feel like us or our identity precisely because we show up for it and we do it over and over and over. Our identity shifts bit by bit in the doing. I remember when our son Brian was about two weeks old, Todd and I ventured out on our first trip to the mall with this new little baby and all of the gear that he required. And I was buying something at the Gap and Brian was in the stroller. And the woman who was ringing me up was, you know, chatting with me about what's my baby's name and how old is he. And I finished up my transaction and I started to walk away, pushing Brian in the stroller, but without my purchase (laughs) on account of sleep deprivation. And the woman started to call my name. Well, she started to call after me. 
She was saying, Brian's mom, Brian's mom, trying to get my attention. And she had to call me Brian's mom several times before I oriented, before she got my attention. Because I was literally 14 days into being Brian's mom. It was new. That identity did not fully feel like me yet. I guarantee, you know, fast forward a little bit and someone says Brian's mom, my head whips around, right? It is something that became me, but it took days and weeks and months and practice of trying on that new label of Brian's mom. So be clear, I am not advocating that you bypass a clear no that is rumbling around inside of your soul. I am simply inviting you to feel your way into this idea that there are lots and lots of shades of gray that live between a clear no at one extreme and a sense of, oh, I can't do that because I'm not at the right age or I'm not at the right stage. Number four, your ability to trust yourself. If you are going to deepen into relationship commitment, you also need to be able to see yourself as someone who can be trusted to make decisions for yourself. So part of the block may be that it's a bit hard for you to see yourself as someone who is worthy of making decisions, who is trustworthy of making decisions. I have this very distinct memory. And it's a memory I think about every time I'm on this one particular corner of downtown Chicago. I must have been in grad school And Todd and I were dating seriously by that point. And we probably were talking about engagement, but we weren't engaged. And I had gone for a run by myself and I was reflecting on our relationship and whether or not we should move forward, you know, towards engagement. And I had one of these like lightning bolt realizations, like one of those like stop you in your tracks, like a little bit take your breath away realizations. And the realization was, oh. I am more afraid of life without Todd than I am afraid of life with Todd. (laughs) Like the scales had very clearly tilted in that direction. And it was a clarifying moment for me. So clarifying that after all these years, I think of it whenever we're in that area. Was I scared of making this kind of commitment? Not just to him, but this kind of commitment to anyone. Yes. Was it hard for me to see myself as someone who was in a place in their lives and worthy and trustworthy to make a commitment of this kind of magnitude? Also, yes. But what became really clear to me in that moment on that corner in downtown Chicago was this. Stepping into this kind of commitment with Todd was less scary than the alternative. And I bring this up not to make a point about age necessarily, but to make a point about the fact that in order to commit to Todd, I had to feel trustworthy within myself. And that felt sense inside of me that I'm ready to do this. That was more about me in that moment than it was about him. That took me some time. And by the way, that took me some therapy, right? There was stuff that I had to look at within myself that I had to heal within my own journey to get to that feeling inside of myself. So it can also be the case that deeper fears and deeper wounds might be closing us off to intimacy. So when someone says right person, wrong time, they might also be saying that they're at a place in their healing journey 
where intimacy simply cannot be the priority because deep internal healing has to be the priority. For some people, they'll pause their dating life for a while so that they can heal. And that in pausing their dating life for a while, that's a way of honoring their capacity. It's not an avoidance. It's a way of turning attention inward. So I always want your healing work to be for you first and foremost, but then also for the benefit of those people who get the privilege of loving you. So I therefore hope that your pause in dating is just that, a pause. It's just a pause in the service of healing, not teetering into a pause that's in the service of avoidance. So my hope for you is that you keep checking in with yourself. And when it might feel good and affirming for you to begin dating again, that that feels to you like a way for you to practice your new skills and as a way for you to highlight first and foremost to yourself that you do have the ability to make new and different and healthier choices for yourself. So dating at that point in time becomes an arena for you to walk the talk. It becomes this practice ground for you to start to see yourself, to see your healing in action. And that's pretty cool. So let's move on and talk about what happens if and when you decide to end a relationship because it's feeling to you like this is the right person at the wrong time. For all the reasons that I've just talked you through, timing matters. And because timing matters, that is reason enough to move along. This cannot be the quote right person for you if the timing is not quote right for your life. As some people say, right person, wrong time equals wrong person. You can bless the relationship for what it was. Not every relationship has to end with tragedy. A relationship can end because of timing. If and when that is the road that you choose, I hope that you will let yourself grieve. Grieve the loss of this person for sure, but grieve also that simplistic or innocent sense that love on its own is enough. Whenever we step back from a more black and white view of the world and we step into a more nuanced view of the world, there's a kind of shattering. There's a kind of loss. And yes, it is a loss that ends up being replaced with something that is sturdier and wiser, but it's a loss nonetheless. And I want you to let yourself feel that because it is by grieving that we open up space for something else. And I hope that that something else that opens up is a sense of trust in the timing of your life, that your journey gets to unfold in ways that you can't see, but in ways that are going to offer you lessons at every point along the journey, lessons that help you evolve and lessons that help you support other people on their journeys. And for some, faith ends up being a resource here. And for others, spiritual practices end up being a resource here. That sense of being connected to everything and everyone, that sense that the universe has your back, which by the way, I've been thinking about this. The universe, the idea that the universe has your back or that you're connected to everything or that, you know, some, some force that you can't see has got you. That's a spiritual idea, but it's 
also a psychological idea. For some of us, our core wound from childhood is that we have to do it all, that it's all on our shoulders. And some of us are therefore at risk of overfunctioning. We take on too much. We feel like we have to do it all. We have lots of responsibility. We have a very, very hard time of letting go of control. So for people like this, our growing edge is letting go, releasing control, giving stuff over to the universe for the sake of our sanity. This is a biggie in my life. So I speak on this one from a place of knowing. So that idea, however you language it for yourself about the universe having your back or trusting the timing or giving something over to a force that you can't see. Yes, it's spiritual, but it's also psychological and it's also self-preservation. It's also a layer of healing. So here's a relational self-awareness question for you to work with. The question is this, what might be different for you if you were able to trust the timing of your life? What might be different for you if you were able to trust the timing of your life? If you opt to journal on this question, make sure that you think about your thoughts. Like what would your thoughts be if you could, you know, think from this place of trusting the timing? What would your feelings be if you could feel from a place of trusting the timing? What behaviors, like what would you do? How would your behavior shift if you were behaving from a place of trusting the timing of your life? And by the way, I don't think that our faith or our spiritual practices mean that we just passively wait around for the universe to line everything else up on our behalf. We are co-creators, you know, us and the universe. We're working together. I, I suspect that because you listen to the show, you know, you're actively engaging in your own healing work. I suspect that you've, you know, believe that too. It's a both and both faith and self-work, both trust and healing, both allowing and engaging. So if you decide that right person, wrong time means that you're going to end this relationship or this situationship, I also want you to trust the universe that when the timing is more aligned, you will be able to create a really lovely, intimate relationship with an available partner at that point in time. That if you end a relationship with someone where the feeling is right person, wrong time, there's a risk of idealizing that relationship. In any breakup, there's a risk of idealizing your ex and idealizing that relationship. Why? Because human memory is notoriously fallible and notoriously selective. And it can be much easier to remember the good stuff as the painful feelings soften or as that stuck feeling fades. And I think that's even more the case if your breakup narrative is right person, wrong time, because nothing was wrong with that person, so to speak. Something was wrong with that timing. So be on the lookout for that feeling of idealizing what was, which can fuel breakup regret and keep you focusing on the rear view mirror. Here's some things I want you to remember if and when that happens. Number one, lousy timing counts. It's not a made up thing. It's a contextual factor that holds power, enough power, in fact, that it can block the ability for an intimate relationship to take root and grow. 
you may find it helpful to write yourself a letter during a moment when you are clear that you need to move along because the timing isn't working for you. And then refer to that letter when a wave of sadness or regret hits you. Number two, ruminating on what if is a dead end road. What if I wasn't in grad school? What if I had gotten therapy earlier? What if I had handled my last breakup better? Spiritual teacher Byron Katie says, when I argue with reality, I lose, but only 100% of the time. So when you catch yourself arguing with reality, come back to this moment. Ground yourself right here, right now. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel with your hands or your feet? Run your hands under cold water. Get up, move, head into nature. Take some deep breaths. Work with a mantra, perhaps this mantra. I trust the unfolding of my journey. Reminder number three, timing by its very definition is temporary, right? It's timing. It's temporary. I have every confidence that there will be a time when intimate partnership will be easier for you to prioritize. And when that happens, your job is going to be to savor and celebrate the person who gets the privilege of loving you at that time, not in comparison to the person you lost to early timing, but that person on their own merits. You are learning and growing and evolving every single day. And as you heal, you create capacity to see and appreciate someone else for who they are. And so your relational self-awareness is going to help you focus on the person in front of you, not the person that you needed to let go of because of timing. And you might be afraid right now that nobody else is going to measure up to that person that you are losing because of timing. But that is only true if you measure your next person on the metric of your last person. And how unfair is that? You deserve to be loved for all the qualities that you are showing up with, and therefore they do as well. Number four, reminder. If you catch yourself thinking, what if that person was the best that I will have? Label that thought for what it is. It's a fear-loaded thought. And remind yourself that in fact, because the timing was off, that person could not be the best that you will ever have. Trust that when you are in a sturdier place for intimacy, that more aligned timing will be an asset for you. It'll be an asset for this new partner. That more aligned timing is going to be the wind at your backs. That more aligned timing is going to help you and this person build a relationship based on sturdy stuff like trust, appreciation, growth. Fear happens, right? Fear is always welcome because all of our feelings are always welcome, but fear does not get to drive the bus. You deserve to celebrate your future relationship on its own metric. And fear will keep you from doing that. But fear can have its place on the bus, not in the driver's seat, and something sturdier like trust and appreciation gets to drive the bus. Okay, last section before we wrap for the day. I want to talk through what happens if somebody is saying this to you. You know, everything I've said 
applies. You just have to flip it. But if you are the one who is being told that you are the right person, but you have arrived at the wrong time, here's some things I want you to keep in mind. Well, first of all, I want to just validate that being told that you're the right person, but the timing is wrong. It's got to stir up a lot, lot, lot of feelings inside of you. So I want to start by validating that sadness and disappointment that this relationship may very well not be viable, confusion and frustration that something you've been thinking is going well is maybe not going to continue, and maybe even shame. For some of us, feelings like sadness, disappointment, confusion, frustration have this very sneaky and very surly way of morphing into shame. So rather than I'm disappointed in this outcome, some of us slip into something is wrong with me, right? The sadness, I'm disappointed in this outcome becomes shame. Something is wrong with me. If this lands for you, just do a deep breath, put your hand on your heart and see if you can feel your way into sadness, disappointment, confusion, frustration without letting that arrow bend back towards you. And I think when we feel helpless, we are particularly at risk of seeking a reason why, even if that why means that we throw ourselves under the bus, so to speak. If I was prettier, if I was smarter, if I was richer, if I was funnier, whatever, then they would have prioritized me and our relationship. Please, please, please be gentle with you. If someone is telling you that you are the right person at the wrong time, that for sure could be a cover story or an excuse. They very well might just be stringing you along, keeping you engaged enough that you're an option, but not so engaged that you are an obligation. So I, I want to validate that possibility as well. It might just be sort of a shady cover story. And last week's episode offered guidance on navigating a situationship. So I'm, I'm going to leave that, that part there. But that's for sure a possibility about what's going on. Also, if someone tells you that you're the right person at the wrong time, as if that's a full explanation of why things are not going to work out between the two of you, just be aware that this person may very well have just bumped up against the ceiling of their relational self-awareness. They may not be able to give you any more insight or explanation because they just don't have anything more available to themselves. If saying right person, wrong time to you feels adequate to that person, there likely isn't more that they can access given their current degree of healing or given their current depth of insight or given their current level or amount of curiosity as to the inner workings of their soul, right? This person may very well lack the motivation and or the ability and or the interest to work on themselves and therefore explore what's getting in the way. And that is sad and that is frustrating, and it is fully the case that you cannot make someone else do their work. Way back in episode number two of Reimagining Love, I did an episode called Inviting a Reluctant Partner into Relationship Work. So you could tune into that oldie but goodie for some ways that you could encourage that person to grow their relational self-awareness, but just remember that you cannot force it. If someone tells you that you are the right person, 
but that the timing is wrong and you decide that you want to offer to be patient while they work their stuff out, here's a few things I want you to keep in mind. Number one, I would like for you to agree to some check-ins. Talk about the interval at which the two of you are going to check in about their progress towards clarity, towards, you know, shifting priorities, whatever it is, right? What's the interval at which the two of you are going to check in about how they're doing? And that interval should ideally be the sweet spot that gives them the space they need to figure themselves out while giving you the assurance and access that you need to practice patience. Number two, be as clear as you can be about what is in bounds and what is out of bounds as you wait patiently. Are you dating other people? Are you seeing each other? How often? Are you sexually intimate during this time? If this person cannot or will not make agreements with you about how to navigate this in-between time, they are showing you that they're really struggling to be relational. So keep checking in with yourself about what you are giving up or ignoring in order to make this situation work. Number three, feel into the difference between patience that feels like pride and patience that feels like self-abandonment. Can you ask for what you need? Are they curious about how you're holding up? Are they expressing gratitude for your patience? Not that you're a hero or a martyr, but they can see that you're extending yourself in order to give this relationship a shot. All right, we did it. I took four little words, <laughs> right person, wrong time, and I turned it into an entire juicy podcast episode. Woo. All right. I hope that you've got some new insights. I hope this episode opens up some new conversations with the people in your life. And I hope this episode supports you on your journey. Until next time, be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at North